Welcome to Spice Bags, where three opinionated ladies, Blanca, May and me, Dee, have a dish about food in Ireland from an international perspective. Welcome to Spice Bags. We are recording when there is a new president-elect, Joe Biden, who has ancestors in Sligo, uh, our last Democratic president. Obama has a plaza in Tipperary named after him. And we are also recording this episode the day after Thanksgiving. So we want to talk today about Irish Americans and their legacy with food. The real question, May, is will um, there be a Biden plaza? That's what we need to know. You know, and will it compete against the Barack Obama plaza? And that would be what in Wicklow, right? No, Sligo, I think, is, is connected to Biden. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, completely. There will be a motor plaza. Blanca, do you know about this? No, I've driven by it, but I've never stopped. Is it a shopping mall? No. So no. I'll really, really quickly, really quickly draw a line under this. So, first of all, everyone knows by now I'm from Tipperary, the very tip of Tipperary, which is on the border of Offaly and Leash. And there's a little town called Moneygall where uh, a priest there, can't remember his name, basically realized that he was a long lost ancestor of Barack Obama and contacted him to see if he fancied traveling over to this tiny, tiny little village um, called Moneygall uh, to visit. And so he did. Uh, during his presidency, he came over. And the funniest thing was for people living in, like I'm like one, we're like one town over, like very, quite far away, but um, they basically, the secret service came over like the week or two beforehand and went around to every house and checked that there was no, you know, that no one had any kind of criminal activity in the States or anything like this and, and interviewed people. And and then there was also a bidding war between Dulux and Crown who for who won the tender to repaint the whole village to make sure and the, the village was repaved they put in statue of him everything like they had to basically beautify the village in order for the the president to come over and see it so by the time he came over there was flags flying it was all repainted and everything and he came over and he did his visit and it was really really lovely and it's been a major a boost for that village now it now is a tourist attraction for any american i guess who comes over and others who come over to see where Barack Obama was from and there's a motorway the main motorway from Dublin to Limerick bypasses that little village it used to go through it to go to Limerick and so they needed they were putting in some um of these big super petrol stations that people stop at these service stations you know like along the motorway and they decided to put one around there and I think, I don't know how it came to be, but basically whoever had put in the tender for it was like, well, it's right beside Moneygall Village, so we should call it the Barack Obama Plaza. So the Barack Obama Plaza is actually a petrol station. <laughs> it's amazing. Gas station for any Americans listening. And, <laughs> um, and they has, it has loads of uh, kind of fast food kiosks inside it and a huge shop and, but it's, it's, it's essentially just somewhere you stop to get food or go to the bathroom or fuel up on your way 
south. Blanca, like you were talking, you have been doing a lot of research with Maura Laverty and her influence with cooking in America. And you pulled up some really nifty things in the New York Times and about her books. Can you talk about that? And starting from the 1940s. And who who she is, who she is as well. First of all, Maura Laverty is one of Ireland's most versatile writers. She created the first TV soap. She was a writer of novels, cookbooks, children's books. Agony Aunt. She's someone fascinating. I've been obsessed with her for the last two or three weeks. Um, I was looking through the New York Times articles just to see just how popular he was. And I don't think people are aware how influential she was. So um, I just wanted to read a little bit um, an article that could have been published yesterday because it's this whole obsession with green food and and she came in and said that's not irish food but anyway the article is titled green does not make an irish meal but simple hearty foodstuffs do and she's the the writer says st patrick's celebrations are not confined to the murphys the donovans and the o'toole's all new york is irish today Old line Yankees, ladies with the soft lisp of Spain, like me, the gentlemen whose first steps were taken on the Russian steps are proudly wearing the green, while almond eyed laundrymen are likely to greet their customers with top of the morning to you. Menus will be wearing the green too. There'll be pea soup, shamrocks caught from green peppers pigs from lime jelly and parsley liberally sprinkled over everything, while green coloring will be generously poured into thousands of frostings and ices, all of which makes for a very, very green effect, but one that can hardly be described as Irish. So the the journalist interviews um, Maura Laverty. This is before she published her cookbooks, but what Maura Laverty wants to dismisses this notion that Irish people just have tea and potatoes and she talks about the soil and she mentioned something that I've heard other people in Ireland today talk that Ireland has the best soil in the world and she talks about how the food is hearty and full of flavor and then she takes a dig at American food saying not like American food but anyway fascinating um, how this woman in the 40s was so influential in America and probably she was the trailblazer of Amer- of Irish food in America, I think, in terms of putting the rec- setting the record straight. Have you guys heard a lot about her, or is I had definitely? Dee, I'm sure you know her. Yeah, like I had definitely heard about her. Um, I just like you, I've kind of since we've been chatting about it for this, I just became like I think she's just so fascinating. Um, but uh, I just knew of her. I didn't know as much and how involved and some like quotes like that from that piece that we read are just absolutely fantastic. She's, she just seems like a real force of a woman, you know, and the, and the, the influence she had actually in the States as well is just um, with food and, and, and on Irish food is really remarkable. And she did mention something, Dee, that I wanted to talk to you about. She says Irish people don't know how to bake potatoes. And Americans do, Irish Americans do. I would say that's fair in that, in that, like, obviously Irish people know how to bake potatoes, but I think a baked potato isn't really necessarily something that's very high up on Irish menus um, at home or restaurants or anything. Um, I think there's a real love in Ireland of mashed potato, roast potatoes, um, 
And I, I'm not really sure people go to the bother of baking them so much. Now, of course, there's going to be people who say, oh, baked potatoes, we love them. When they hear this, they'll probably disagree with me. But I think it's just maybe the length of time it takes to bake a potato, you know, versus other ways of preparing them. That means that they're not as popular here. Like you wouldn't after, the only way I would see baked potatoes really on a menu is there's a lot of places that do maybe a baked potato with toppings. Um, and I've seen some of those kind of, um, you know, like restaurants in Ireland here. But other than that, I would, I would say that they're not as common. So I think it's a fair enough comment. Would you say May that baked potatoes are big in the States? Um, huge. Uh, they're my favorite way of eating a potato. I was going to say when I moved here, um, that I felt like Irish people didn't really like potato skins. And that <clears throat> is the star of the baked potato, in my opinion. Um, and then ironically, when I was in New York and we were going to quote Irish pubs, cause we're just going to move it back to America. Um, when we're going to quote Irish American pubs, the thing that I would always eat would be potato skins, mm. which in my opinion is not something that I would find here. No, you see, I mean, you'd see it on the odd menu. I don't think it's really as a kind of a, you know, in the same way you'd order a, a quick side of, of chicken wings or something, you might order some potato skins to share at a table in a pub or something, but it's not really... They're not like something you would see everywhere. Definitely not. I would agree with you that I think maybe potato skins are behind the reason. I guess people just, I think there's just a real love of, of mash here. Real love of mash. Can I, can I just bring it back also yeah. um, something um, that resonated when Blanca was quoting Maura Laverty is this idea of also Irish American identity. Like why is that so potent? And, you know, cause you know, when Blanca, you were saying, right. It's like, you know, everyone is, today, everyone is Irish, whether... 33 you know, million Americans are Irish. Irish, right? But she also said, you know, even if you're not Irish, even if you're Mexican or if you're Spanish or, you know, today you are Irish. And and that idea of Irish identity in America, why is that so powerful? And can we talk about that? Is that being directed at me? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I, <laughs> I, I mean, I could talk about Irish immigration, immigration, but I mean, I'm, I can't, I, I'm trying to think of why the Irish identity is so strong in the States. Um, I'm not really Isn't it because of the size? The, wouldn't you think, you know, that influence, I don't know, 3 million people went after, you know, after the famine and no, like, it was a million and a just, half, million and a half, roughly. But like it was, it started, it started a mass, a mass immigration. Yeah. Like, I mean, I suppose, yeah. So obviously the reason that there is a huge Irish, Amer like Irish American or the uh, Irish ancestry with Americans is because of the amount of Irish who emigrated because of the famine. Um, and the influx of those people, I suppose, all at once, you can imagine, I mean, the only thing I can compare it to is when, my, in my, from my own experience in Ireland, is when we had um, an influx at one point here in, you know, the last few decades of, of, of Eastern European, and that became a higher population, and it was noticeable, you know, that sort of way. So I can only imagine being in America when millions of Irish were arriving, it must have just been especially in the East Coast, in New York, 
Boston, you know, it must have been noticeably influential. Um, and I think um, that, I mean, I think that was, it must have been just a really, um, you know, there must have been a huge influence from that point. And then I guess um, over years and periods, it just kind of has always kind of spawned on from that. Would that be correct, do you think? Um, I was going to say, okay, so I, I know, Blanca, you spent a lot of time in Chicago and D.C. Um, again, and I, you know, uh, grew up in the hotbeds of New York, Irish hotbeds of New York and Boston and San Francisco. Um, but something from childhood, right, was that, you know, obviously, I mean, I'm Chinese American, right? So we were not, you didn't want to be Chinese American when I was growing up. But so um, what I would want to call is like white, white, people who are white, white, right? And, um, and so people who are white, white, like if they're just English and German, and maybe a little bit of French, like they don't really have a lot of pride. Whereas if they're Irish or part Irish, they have so much pride in that part of their identity. I would say, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure. I'm actually not sure why the, like that kind of resonates or why there's, you know, like you said, there is that pride. Maybe it's just because Ireland is so small and for people to leave there to go to somewhere like America, which is so big, it made them I mean, they didn't, a lot of people who went to America from Ireland originally didn't necessarily want to, they were leaving because, you know, their home was inhospitable because there was something, a pandemic going on there. And I guess there was that longing for home. And also you can't just go back there so quickly. So there was that longing and that, that grow, you know, Irish grow for home. So maybe that, throw- that kind of turned into a pride, maybe something like that. Can I say, I think um, the, the image of Ireland is always a neutral one, whereas the image of other countries like Germany yeah. or England or Spain or France, you know, there were so many wars and hatred. And so I think with Ireland, Ireland is seen as a neutral country, as somewhere that has never been an aggressor. So I think that has a lot to do with that pride. Um, especially remember we're talking like a lot of these articles I was looking at were from the forties. Imagine, you know, promoting German food in the forties. Yeah. You would have been uh, like the New York times wouldn't have wanted those articles. But one thing that I found from Ireland also is that Ireland in the modern world dominates because of the language, a lot of these narrative and Mm -hmm. one fascinating thing I love, I have a total crush on economist David McWilliams and he says that he's surprised Irish people in Ireland don't leverage these 33 million, you know, Irish people, Irish American people to promote Ireland better or sell them things. And I think it is fascinating that there's so many people in in America. I've met so many Irish Americans through my life. And that's my first contact with Ireland was meeting Irish Americans. They're very different to Irish people, (laughs) by the way. But also, I think I think when I was in San Francisco, we were in the Sunset. I was living in the Sunset neighborhood, which was an Irish community and was taken over by Chinese. Um, but when you go to the pubs, the Irish pubs, there will be, I'd say, second generation Irish Americans who would have very distinct regional Irish accents. We were talking about this, weren't we, because of that film trailer that came out recently as well, the Irish... American accents, um, how they're, how they're, or how Irish accents are portrayed 
in American films? You mean Wild Mountain Time? Are you Wild are you, Mountain are, Time? Are, are that's you, it. Are you yeah. talking about the, the the brilliant film that is coming out with Emily? Yes. Bond? Which every Irish American, as one of my American friends, as another one of my American friends in Ireland said, yeah, but the Irish Americans are going to love it. You know, like, and, and I think it's what you're talking about is that as Irish, as an Irish person like me who lives here and is always appalled by our Irish accent in how it's portrayed in films like that. But what you're saying is that there is an accent, an Irish American accent that's kind of similar. Is that right? Yeah. Well, it's also deeply regional. I mean, we would yeah. go into a pub and, you know, Tommy, my husband, we go like, oh my God, like I haven't heard a tip accent like that in, you know, in Ireland. I haven't heard, you know, an accent. Accent. yeah, exactly. Like they're, <laughs> they're like somehow purified. Mm. Um, I think as well, I was really, when I, my first experience of Irish pubs in America was, well, when... I, sp- I spent time in Boston when I was younger because I have family there, obviously. <laughs> and um, but when no, when I suppose New York really um, the first time I went there, and I, you know, when you're in Midtown, you're in Manhattan, you know, you're wandering around to see the sights and stuff. And I mean, there's so many Irish pubs within a few blocks in Midtown, like around the Rockefeller, you know, all around that kind of general area there are just so many and I remember there was a few like Connolly's Connolly's pub um which was one of the first ones I went into and it's interesting to see how I mean I've been in Irish pubs all over the world but it's just it's interesting to see the Irish American pubs you know and I mean of course they're they look sound and what is it they walk talk and look like a duck but are they a duck you know like they're kind of they're they're it's like a the other side of the mirror version of an Irish pub. I mean, first of all, the Guinness is just not as good. Well, I, mean, yeah, I was going to say, like, I read the Irish pubs in New York, which, again, <laughs> if you work in Midtown, this is where you, you went. Um, but they, they're kind of almost built on a Hollywood soundstage. So we would just like to take a moment to talk about this phenomenal podcast, World According to Wikipedia. Now, the three of us at Spice Bags are total nerds. And Wikipedia has become such a resource upon which we rely. The world according to Wikipedia questions how Wiki gets its information and also by proxy how then we derive our knowledge. This is something that we are fascinated with and we will be tuning in. Check it out. The World According to Wikipedia is a podcast that pops the hood of Wikipedia and invites you to take a look inside. Each episode, we will talk to someone from the Wikimedia community on topics like why are only 18% of biographies about women? Can editing Wikipedia be a protest or activism? And what is it like for the communities working on the 200 plus Wikipedias that are not in English? Subscribe on your podcatcher of choice and follow us on Twitter at world underscore Wikipedia. Can we talk about um, a little bit about sort of Irish American food and specifically... What is it? Corn beef and cabbage. This is something that obviously American tourists always want to find in Ireland and it doesn't exist. Um, and May, you, we've talked about this many, many times before. What are the things that 
people grow up with in America and then can't find in Ireland. I think this is one example, but there's many more, isn't there? Um, I mean, I think corned beef and cabbage is interesting, right? And um, I just actually, uh, I was talking to Kevin Dundon, who has a bunch of gastropubs in Florida, uh, the Raglan Road. And then I think he also had um, something called the uh, Fine Irishman in Vegas. And he said to me that the the evolution of corned beef and cabbage is essentially like, it almost like encapsulates the evolution of Irish American identity, right? Because Irish people immigrated, they didn't have a lot of money and they didn't have that back bacon that they would usually use to cook with cabbage. And the one thing that was cheap was actually Jewish corned beef. And they were able also, and he said that early, early versions of corned beef and cabbage in America would have been um, Jewish corned beef with German sauerkraut. That's interesting. It's funny because tell us I, a little bit more. I, I recently, sorry, guys, can you tell for listeners who Kevin Dundon is? Kevin Dundon actually is one of the big pioneers of bringing um, Irish food to America. Uh, he had um, a show on uh, the American Channel PBS called Modern Irish Food, and then he has a number of restaurants. Um, and and part of it is doing doing food, but part of it is also educating Irish Americans about the origins of their food. He also did say to me um, that Americans had, Americans always thought of soda bread as being white soda with raisins. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's interesting about the corned beef because um, I was at a meeting with the Irish Food Writers Guild uh, recently virtually and a discussion came up about corned beef um and the how you know a lot of us would work with would have experience with um Americans who come to Ireland and who are like that looking for corned beef and cabbage here or or a discussion around it and um actually a lot of uh, the food writers who were in that discussion had said that you know we were trying to see if corned beef is an Irish thing, like an Irish-based, uh, Ireland-based Irish thing. And a lot of um, the older writers were saying that they would have been given corned beef um, for dinner when they were younger, like it was a staple. But it was something that was maybe like a cheaper dinner, you know, for people who had like bigger families and things like that. So, but like then there was, like I like I had never experienced it growing up, but I think it was, um, perhaps something that was around a lot earlier, you know, that sort of way. So I, I don't think it's something that's as common now. Well, it's also very, I mean, like corned beef, if you look at it, um, the spices, like it's, it has a lot in common with the cork spiced beef. Yeah. Which is a really, yeah. And I mean, spiced beef is, you know, very traditional, very, I would say it's a very Irish thing. It is definitely cork in origin and I think that again has to do with the spices the spice root that came in through cork but um and a way of preserving the beef you know um but uh, it is definitely something that and it became an alternative Christmas dinner as well spiced beef I always associate with Christmas do you have that every Christmas Dee my mother-in-law makes that 
we don't we didn't yeah but but it is definitely very common to have spiced beef at christmas that's my favorite part of irish christmas i have to say i love spiced beef i think it's it's amazing and i think you know you have the like of tom durkin and stuff who have done it so well for so long and um you can get really excellent versions of it um can we go back to soda bread sorry yeah just yeah (laughs) Um, I love soda bread. Um, and when I tried to make it in America after I, I, I lived in, you know, when I lived in Chicago, I asked my mother-in-law for her recipe. And my mother-in-law is a brilliant, brilliant cook. Um, and not only that, she grows her vegetables. She knows a lot about ingredients. But she gave me the recipe and Steve and I tried it and it was hard as a rock. And we were so disappointed. And I was thinking, is my mother-in-law giving me the wrong recipe? Um, but anyway, then I read Coleman Andrews book, which was also very influential. He's an American writer, um, may used to work for him, but he explained how you need to use cake flour. And it just all of a sudden opened up the world of soda bread in Chicago for me because you can't use normal flour to make soda bread in America. But, um, but I love soda bread, but I was always surprised in Chicago that soda bread was always sweet and it, it always had all these things in it and... <laughs> So I, I, it's also another perception that Americans have that, or that Irish breads are always sweet. Yes. Yeah. I think there is. And it's disappointing because I think so normal soda bread is much nicer. I I don't particularly love the raisin one. What is it called? Spotted dog or something. Yeah. It's, um, I think that's, I would, I would always associate that with England and I wonder if there's a crossover, um, you know, in cultures there, it, it's spotted dick is the one you're thinking of is the spotted dick is a cream pudding though. It's not, yeah. it's not a bread. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, but you have an Irish one. I've heard like when I went to Ballymaloo like yeah. 18 years ago, like, so it was with raisins and it was yeah. a soda bread with raisins and it was called spotted dog or something. Oh, I, yeah. I wonder, it's just, it's so similar to the English name. I, I'm just, yeah. Like, well, and but, um, but anyway, the soda bread thing. Um, sorry, you're right. I'm actually just looking yeah. that up. There is a, it's Irish spotted dog, Irish spotted dog. And Jarena Allen has it as a recipe on the Ballymaloo Cookery School website. And she just says that yeah. um, at times of the year when the men were working particularly hard in the fields, the farmer's wife would go out of her way to reward them with a richer bread than usual for tea. According to her, means she might throw in a fistful of currants or raisins, some sugar and an egg if there was one to spare. Um, And the resulting bread was a more traditional Irish sweet cake. It had different names in different parts of the country, spotted dog, kearney cake, railway cake, and so on. Current bread was not just for haymaking and threshing, but also a treat for Sundays and special occasions. There you go. It just seems that that's the bread that that, um, Irish Americans have yeah. cooked you know it's not actually, the traditional it's, it's, one. It's, 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 oh sorry sorry there's an interesting actually just add on to that here which i think is what we're talking about is that the american emigrant soda bread is caraway seeds and sultanas were added to soda bread in ireland long ago but the, the tradition went by the wayside not so in america where soda bread often has caraway seeds and sultanas in it um, usually when Darina says she goes to the U S she takes, uh, her Irish recipes there, but, um, she was delighted to be able to bring back 
those that kind of American immigrant soda bread recipe back and try it at home. I think it's also I've never um, had it with caraway. Sorry, I was, I was just going to say though it's it is sort of representative of it. I think that in certain immigrant cultures, when people go away, they preserve traditions. Yeah, that that you know while their their own countries have moved on, they preserve those traditions. Yeah. And maybe, and that's, you know, and the soda bread with caraway and sultanas could be an example of that. As is, you know, you know, talking to second generation Irish people in San Francisco with heavily regional accents. What are other dishes that we've encountered in America that are Irish American that you'd see around St. Patrick's? Well, I was going to say, Kevin Dundon also pointed out that there is a rise in now quality Irish butchers in the States. So yeah, there's a place called U.S. Butcher Block in the Bronx. Um, There's a place called Tommy Malone's in Manhattan. And there's a guy that he just calls Fritz, who is in Kansas City. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. If you go to Kansas City, just look up Fritz and tell Kevin sent you. Yeah, exactly. Um, And doing the black and white pudding, um, doing proper Irish bacon, but also doing proper Irish sausages, which I've always had to explain, are different than sausages you get elsewhere. And uh, Dundon was saying that, um, first of all, the primary spicing of the Irish sausage is mace. There is a lot of rust mm. and like and, you know, and it's processed until it's smooth. Which, you it's know, not coarse. it's not coarse. Um, and I love Irish sausages. Can I just mention when I worked in Chicago, I worked for a food importer and distributor. It was a British guy in Chicago making Irish sausages, which I found very ironic, but they were very good. But I, I felt a little bit bad, like this, these Irish sausages are made by an English guy. <laughs> but he took advantage because Chicago is such a big Irish city and everyone in Chicago you know, is so proud of their heritage and there's Irish neighborhoods now populated by Mexicans. But um, these sausages were extremely, he, he, he became very successful making Irish sausages. Would you uh, guys agree that I think for me, um, call cannon is something I saw a lot of on menus in the States that I don't think is as popular here as it would be maybe in the States. That's a really good point. I, because I love Colcannon and I couldn't find it here. Yeah. I don't think it's like, I think everyone knows about Colcannon or they accidentally do it here, but I don't think it's, I think it is actually, I remember uh, studying before and it's, I think Colcannon is more of a Northern Irish dish, if I'm not mistaken. Um, But I know that when I was in the States, it was on every menu. Like when I was, if I was in a pub with my cousins or something like that, that Colcannon was definitely something And the other thing I feel like that's popular in America that isn't as, maybe I won't say isn't as popular here, but I saw a lot of in the States was pies like Guinness, you know, beef and beef and onion pie or, or Guinness, um, Guinness pie, um, which I think pies in general in Ireland are popular, but again, not as popular as they are in the States. Would you agree, May, or... No, I think that's a that's a really good point, and I think also, I mean, it might bring it back to uh, back to Dublin um, with, um, like, you know, even like the Boxy House, mm-hmm. or uh, you know, and I think that Boxy House was 
it started out as an Irish restaurant, but it, it sort of then kind of was cultivating an Irish American yes. audience. And that stews, I don't know whether they ever did pies, but it was that, you know, it's very stew pie. Yes. Potatoes. Definitely. I mean, I think it's because their, their uh, customer base was almost like 90% American, I think, in Temple Bar. Um, and I know that Porygog would be one of, the, when you talk about Irish chefs who have been really influential in bringing and pioneering Irish food in America, I think that Porygog Gallagher, who owns the Boxy House, is one of those. He goes over every year, especially around March, around Paddy's, um, to do demonstrations. And he's been doing a lot, a lot of work in the States um, promoting Irish food and the kind of, I suppose, more actual, more Irish food to Americans as well. Um, but you, uh, guys, can we talk a little bit about Irish American chefs? Blanca, I wanted to talk to you about when I was looking for Irish American chefs. Um, the one guy that kept coming up was Bobby Flay, who of course did not do Irish food, but instead, in my opinion, introduced Spanish food to the States with his restaurant Bolo. Do you want to comment on that? I, I think it's, I, I find it fascinating that so many Irish, Irish Americans are fascinated with tapas. And I wonder if it has to do with Irish food not being about sharing and Spanish food being about sharing. But yeah, I love Bobby Flay and uh, he's such a huge media TV star. He's cookbooks, but that's, that's an interesting point about him being Irish American and then cooking, um, tapas in a way like jp mcmahon started off that way i guess no d that's like true. The, the, there's a, a, a little fascination with tapas in ireland definitely that we will be talking about in our next episode <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, and, and maybe that's the idea that tapas is like out out food right like when you're eating mm-hmm. and it's like it's out out right it's it's a exotic oh, you don't do it at home is that what you mean you don't do it at, for, yeah you don't do it oh, at home it's okay. exotic yeah. experience Definitely. Definitely. I think um, as well, I heard about this other Irish American chef, which I won't say who's been like really influential here or anything like that, but I just thought I came across him last year. Um, His name is, um, his name is Flynn McGarry. And he, he's just an interesting, an interesting guy. He is. um, He's not an interesting guy, honey. He's an interesting child. Childs. Well, I mean, he's 20 now. So, you know, I mean, he's, I don't know if he'd appreciate being called a child, but I, I see where you're going because he has been a chef since he was a child. That's the interesting story. So he's Irish American. He was brought up in LA. Um, and he basically was fascinated by, by food. And at the age of 10, he asked his mum, could he turn his bedroom into a kitchen so he could practice? And by the age of 12, he was serving like tasting menus to diners in his house and charging them and then he landed on the cover of New York magazine when he was 15 so he's this kind of prodigy of uh you know chef the Justin Bieber of food he has been called um but uh he basically yeah so he's he opened up his own restaurant called Gem which seats 18 people uh twice a night it's in New York um have you been May or anything? Do you know? I haven't been to Jem. I've I've heard um, I've heard Flynn 
in interviews. Um, he's, you know, adorable. Yeah, he talks about his Irish heritage in interviews, actually, which is interesting. Um, he's never been here, but he, mm-hmm. I know that he talks about his Irish heritage as well, which is that, I suppose, that thing that we're saying with this, you know, fascination or this thing of most Americans mentioning their Irish heritage when they're speaking to anybody from Ireland. Well, I, you know, I mean, and I don't know whether this is relevant, but I was reading a satirical novel um, called Crosstalk by the author Connie Willis. And one of the characters is, it's basically an Irish American family. And one of the characters is Auntie Una, who, while she has never, like, they're third, fourth generation, while she has never herself been in Ireland, She's, I think that, that Willis says she speaks in a brogue that is a combination of Darby, girl, uh, Darby and the Little Folk. And um, it's basically Darby and the Little Folk. And, and she, you know, constantly sort of refers to the motherland mm-hmm. and makes scones. I mean, it's, pretty, it's a pretty harsh characterization, maybe, of an Irish-American who would have clung on to their heritage but it probably goes back to some of the people that you know again I was meeting in San Francisco pubs I think that ever since I've lived in Ireland I've been much more aware of the Irish diaspora when I go back home that makes uh, sense. I don't know Blanca if, you know because you've been married to an Irish husband um but I you know I grew up like in Boston and like all these places that li- there's like a big Irish community um, and now when I go home, it feels like Ireland comes to me. Uh, and, uh, and so for instance, we were in Boston and, uh, and my husband's mom said, Oh, by the way, if you see big red Murphy's brother, tell him hello. And Tommy was like, uh, ma, Boston's a big city. And lo and behold, no way. Yeah, watching the hurling. <laughs> Big Red Murphy's brother <laughs> was at the bar. That is hilarious. I think Ireland is so small. One of my um, American friends told me, oh, I have an Irish neighbor. in. She lives in Sausalito. And I said, oh, and she said, maybe you know her. Or And I said, come on, Ireland is not that small. And it turns out is one of my husband's friends from school. I was, it's just <laughs> incredible. But there is, yeah, there, there are so many Irish people. And I think not only Irish Americans, but so many Irish people in America. When I lived in Chicago in our building, we had an Irish doctor, an Irish uh, IT person. It was everywhere. When I went to China, and this is, I'm not making this up. And Sinead, who's one of our listeners who lives in Meath, um, Matilde, my daughter, went to school to a, crash and she said mom there's an irish boy in my class and i said no you're joking and it was all chinese except for ethan and matilde <laughs> and it's just irish people are such great travelers they're everywhere yeah. it's yeah it's That's incredible it. i mean like also that and the fact that i mean i remember somebody commented before about saying or i was having this discussion with some friends about like why are there so many irish pubs like around the world like why is there you know an Irish pub in every city you go to and not just in the States, but across the world. I mean, I went to the, the highest Irish pub 
in the world uh, on the way up to Everest in Namshi Bazaar at 4,000 meters, you know, you were able to go in and get a pint of Guinness. And it's just, um, and it's actually a company that was set up. It's kind of like, kind of, it kills the romanticism of just this Irish yeah. grow that has spread <laughs> across the world. It was like, no, it was an Irish company that was set up, I think, from Guinness, it spawned from the Guinness uh, company. And um, it basically helps people set up Irish pubs, like franchise them across the world. So that's how come there's so many Irish pubs. But it is it is a nice thing sometimes if you're traveling and so many Irish people do, as you said, that, you know, you can get a slice, a, a slightly weird glimmer of home um, in any country that you're in. I think David McWilliam also, he uses um, the Irish pub index. Uh, he, it's like a copy of the McDonald's index to to analyze Irish soft power in the world, which is very interesting. You can look it up. Oh, it's also very interesting to mention David McWilliams though as well. Yeah, so, sorry, I'm trying to <laughs> get a hold of his attention. Anyway, can I say like he's just in all his books for people who are not Irish, but maybe married to Irish or married to whoever, his books about Irish economy and the sociological make makeup of Irish people are fascinating. So that's those are my bedtime reading. When I don't understand Ireland, I read his books. I was going to say also, Blanca, you have a little bit of an intellectual crush on David McWilliams. So, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, call Blanca. (laughs) And also he does the Docky Book Festival, which is so interesting. And I love, I volunteer every year. Um, Anyway, yeah. Um, I love David McWilliams. <laughs> so um, this like last, this very last thing that I actually had wanted to say is um, I connected with my old editor who uh, I know from Sever, who is the creator of Keepers, uh, which is a book that was kind of a phenomenon in the States. Um, I think Oprah Winfrey like loves Keepers. It's like, you know, and yes. Yeah. 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 And so she and Kathy Brennan, who are from Sever. They're both half Irish American. And then the other half, Caroline is half Belgian and Kathy is half Japanese. And so like it was, and so when Caroline was talking about like how she basically navigates Irish food in America, she just said that, you know, she's usually, she said, um, my big day to cook Irish food for friends and to prove that it can be better than they think is St. Pat's Day. I make the Irish, I make the shepherd's pie from Coleman Andrews' book, brisket sliders with Kerrygold cheese and beet cured salmon. Um, but then she also mentions that her Irish grandmother, who she loves, could not cook for anything. Love nor money. Yeah, no, she said an Irish grandmother made, like, she's like, mine was wonderful woman, but scary cook, prone to canned vegetables and boiling entire chickens. But she did manage to feed eight children. Yeah. Quite a task. And um, I wanted to add on just a little about, just one little piece about um, when we were talking about maybe Irish pubs in New York. Um, I forgot to mention just as well, I suppose, more of a, a more 21st century Irish bar, as it likes to be called, but the Dead Rabbit in New York. I mean, oh, yeah. I think that that is kind of one of the the bars when I think about true Irish 
bars in New York. Um, I kind of think about the Dead Rabbit, um, Jack McGarry and Sean Muldoon, who set that up, both from Belfast. Um, you know, it still has that kind of Irishness about it, but it's just done in a, it's presenting a more, I would say, truer picture of, of what's happening at home. Um, I mean, obviously they're, even the food, you know, they kind of would have things like, yeah, you can get your lamb stew, which would be really traditional, but you also get like, you know, braised rabbit or, you know, um, just other kind of dishes as well. Um, and then they're really renowned for cocktails as well. So I wonder, I wonder whether sort of Irish in America in certain ways struggle with what I would say is often, um, immigrant food people, um, which is that there's such a perception of what the Irish food and drink experience should be. Yeah. And then to kind of like modernize that, try to sort of almost be like, okay, we want to mirror what's going on in our own country can be a struggle. Definitely. I mean, every, I, I'm a guide for the fab food trails in Dublin and basically essentially is a walking food tour around the city um, and when we have Americans on the tour, you know, I always have to start with the kind of what's your perception of Irish food, you know, mm. um, and has your experience here been what lived up to those perceptions or, and always every American tourist that I meet on those tours is always say they're blown away, first of all, by the standard of food in Ireland. And it is not what they thought at all. You know, like as in, it's not better, it's not worse, it's just, it's as in, it's amazing, but it's a completely different experience to to what they had perceived Irish food to be. And that's based on the fact that most of them, when I asked them to name an Irish dish, would say corned beef and uh, corn or corned, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> corned beef and cabbage, you know. I mean, I'm similar. Yeah. And I think that, you know, um, similarly, I was watching The Departed, uh, the Scorsese, oh, yeah. right, about, you know, Irish gangsters. And um, for me, Scorsese is so food focused. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that there's no food in The Departed. As opposed yeah. to his movies, right? Like, I was like, oh, my gosh, right? Like, there's like yeah. one diner scene and that's it. Yeah. And actually, um, the last time I was in New York last Christmas, um, I was in somewhere in around Hell's Kitchen and I was going into an an off license to grab. um, I was heading to a friend's house for dinner and um, I was going in to grab some wine. And I was it was so interesting when I walked into the off license to see how many Irish gins, you know, because of the gin kind of renaissance that's been happening here. Or it can't, can't really be a renaissance because it hasn't really happened before, but the, the gin explosion that's been here, there was so many of the Irish craft gins on sale in the off-license. Like I saw gunpowder, I saw dingle, you know, it was just really, really interesting to see how that new wave of, that's a glimpse of really what's happening at home. And I wonder, do people see that when they're, when they're shopping in, in the office. Oh, absolutely. There's a complete, and maybe it is because I live here. And so therefore everybody in my circle is more Ireland focused, mm-hmm. but um, my friends and family back in the States are completely fetishizing like this new artisanal 
Irish thing, right? Like, so whether it's a gin or whether they see like, um, you know, a, a really interesting black pudding, that always registers. Mm. And also my mother is baking soda bread. <laughs> I hope she's using cake flour. She is using cake flour. <laughs> <laughs> Unless she wants store stoppers. If you like what you heard or better yet have a question or response or comment to anything that we said today we really want to hear from you so please contact us at instagram at spice bags pod twitter as well as the same spice bags pod or you can email us at spice bags pod at gmail.com this podcast is part of the headstuff podcast network